Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this morning uh, to the Gospel of Mark, and turning to Mark chapter 16. If you're using the Church Bibles, you'll find this on page 854. Mark chapter 16, and we'll begin our reading at verse 14 uh, this morning, and we'll be focusing in on verses 15 through 18. This is speaking about Jesus. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. As we've been looking at Mark's gospel, uh, Mark has been teaching us about the good news of Jesus Christ. And you remember that we have come to understand that Jesus was crucified, uh, that he died on the cross. But more than that, that Jesus was raised. Uh, There was the empty tomb where the women came to the tomb to finish the burial process. But when they came, they were met with a heavenly visitor who told them that Jesus was no longer there, that he had risen uh, just as he had said he would. And so the message uh, of God's grace is one that is about the events surrounding Jesus's death and resurrection. Jesus appeared not only uh, to uh, Mary Magdalene, uh, but also uh, tells us to the two on their way out into the country. And then finally, he appeared uh, to the 11 disciples themselves. And he, when he did appear to them, he rebuked them for their unbelief that they did not believe the things that had been told to them, uh, that they were uh, resisting uh, and not receiving God's revelation. But Jesus didn't come to his disciples simply to rebuke them. Ultimately, he came to correct them and to commission them. And this morning, we want to look at uh, these verses to understand how the risen king now commissions his disciples to go out into the world and to announce Christ's victory, the triumph of our King, who has triumphed over death, over sin, and who has brought salvation uh, to sinners. And so this morning we want to see this call, this commission uh, to preach the good news to all of creation. And we want to look at these verses in just uh, three thoughts. We want to think about the commission uh, to preach uh, the gospel uh, the, the characteristics of that proclamation of the gospel, and then finally the, the confirmation of that message 
uh, being preached. So first we have uh, the commission uh, to proclaim the gospel message. Uh, it says there in verse 15 uh, that Jesus said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. The first thing that Jesus tells his disciples is, is that they are to go. The people of uh, Christ are not an idol uh, or a passive people, but they are a people who are on the move. They are to now live in response to God's works. Uh, they are to make known what has happened. Uh, they are not simply to be idle, but rather they are to be responsive uh, to everything that has happened. They are to go and to tell others that Jesus who has died has risen, that he has triumphed over death, and his atoning sacrifice has been accepted in God's sight. They are to tell others because the king has commanded them to go and to make known his victory. Uh, but this news is to be directed not only to the people of Israel, but notice it says, go into all the world. This is a message that has relevance for all people because Jesus is not only the king of the Jews, but he's the king of the nations. And because all people stand in need of this salvation. And so this message is one that calls for a response. The disciples who were disbelieving this message at first now are to take that message and to take it out into the world because all people need to hear what God has done. And this should really not only shape our understanding of the disciples and what they did in the first century, but it should understand and shape our understanding of what it means to be a disciple even today. That a follower of Jesus is one who is on the move, that we are to go out into the world. Jesus calls us to be salt and light in the world, that as we begin this new week, we are being reminded of God's victory in Christ. And then we will return to our callings in this world to be that salt and light, to bear witness to the Lordship of Jesus. But we can even think about this more specifically in relation to that proclamation, that the news of Christ's resurrection is one, that message needs to go out, that it needs to be proclaimed uh, to the nations. And so as a church community, our concern should always be beyond the domain of this demographic. While we gather here in Charlottetown, our concern should always extend beyond Charlottetown. Our concern should be that the nations, the whole world, would hear this message proclaimed. And so our, our vision, our, our, our view should always be thinking about that message being proclaimed and su uh, supported by the work of the church. And that's why as a church, even when we think about our use of resources, we should be thinking about how do we support the work of proclaiming Christ in other parts of the world as well. It should shape the way that even us uh, as individuals should think about our calling. That has Christ called us to go out as ambassadors of Christ, to make Christ known? And you young people, as you think about your own vocation in this world, it might be thinking, has Christ called me to proclaim Christ and to make him known in other parts of the world as well? But this, this characteristic of what the risen king decrees is, is that his followers would be on the move. They are not passive. They are not idle. They're not, they're not satisfied with simply being reclusive, but rather they are those who want to make known what God has done. 
So the first aspect of the risen king's uh, commission here is for them to go. And as a church, the church should support that mindset of being on the go. But the second thing that Jesus says there to his disciples is they are to go into all the world and to proclaim. They are to announce. They are to preach the gospel to the whole of creation. What is the gospel? Gospel means good news, but what is the good news that they are to tell the nations? Well, that's really what Mark has been talking about in this entire book. You remember that Mark began his gospel by saying, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That the good news concerns Jesus. It concerns who he is and what he has done. That Mark says at the outset that he is the Son of God. But then he begins to explain what the Son of God has done. That God the Son came into this world, assuming our nature, living amongst sinners for a purpose. What was that purpose? And you go back to the beginning of Mark's gospel and he tells you. He quotes from the prophets. He quotes from Malachi. He quotes from Isaiah. And in both Malachi and in Isaiah, they said that the Lord would come. That was the expectation of the covenant people. God promised he would come. And when he would come, Malachi says he will refine his people. He will purify them. He will cleanse them of their impurities. When Isaiah described the coming of the Lord, the good news that God, our God, is going to come, Isaiah described it as bringing the forgiveness of sins. That the people of God were to be comforted knowing that their God will care for them as a shepherd. That he will forgive their sins and they will be pardoned and reconciled with their God. And now Mark in this gospel is really unpacking this is the good news. God has brought purification from our defilements, our corruptions. He has brought pardon from our sins through the Son of God, through his life and death and resurrection. And you read Mark's gospel and you begin to see that's what Mark's trying to tell us. He tells us about the life of Jesus, his life of righteousness. He tells us about his death his atoning sacrifice. Mark is trying to emphasize that Jesus lived the life that we should have lived, of being righteous before God. And he died the death that we should have died, paying the penalty of sin. The Son of Man came into this world to give his life as a ransom for many. And so when we think about what is the good news, Mark has been stretching us to understand it is about God's works. It's about God's works in Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. It's about how the life and death and resurrection of Jesus brings forgiveness of sins to all who believe in him. And so here uh, is this message that is to be proclaimed. His death covers their wrongdoings, and uh, his death uh, uh, is an atoning sacrifice. And it's his resurrection that shows that his work was pleasing and acceptable in God's sight. 
So these disciples, it's not just a matter of recognizing they got it wrong. It's not simply that they needed to know that Jesus did rise from the dead. But what are the implications of that? Jesus rose from the dead. What does that mean? It means that he's triumphed. It means that death has been defeated through the death of Christ. It means that the curse of sin has been conquered through the work of the Son of God. It means that our problem, our guilt before God, has found a solution. That's to be preached to the nations. That the risen king is the exalted king that we are to trust in. So these disciples are being commissioned by Jesus. He tells them to go out into all the world, that what he has done has implications for all nations. Just as we are uh, commanded in the Old Testament scriptures to come and to behold the works of God, his works in creation, his works in deliverance of his people in the Exodus, now we are called to come and to discover God's works of salvation as they are fulfilled in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's this commission that is given to the disciples. But there's also the characteristics of that commission or that, uh, that message that they are to proclaim. And notice in verse 16, uh, there are two aspects to it. It says first uh, that uh, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. This message that they are to go and to proclaim to all people uh, is uh, for all creation to hear. None are to be shut out from the free offer of the gospel. In other words, the church is not to put restraints on to whom this applies. This message is not just for the pious Jew. It's not even for the upright and morally uh, upstanding Roman citizen. This message is for all of creation because all people stand in need of a savior and because Christ reigns over all and all people are to give an account. We're to live in light of God's works. And so they are to tell this to all creation because all of creation is bound up in the works of God. Whoever believes in Jesus and his saving work will be saved because it is one's identification with the King that one comes to find refuge in his power and in his grace. It is, it is allegiance to him. That's what trusting in Jesus is. It, is. it is identifying with him, understanding who he is, but understanding what he is for me if I, if I believe in him, that one is trusting in Christ. And it says there, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. That's not trying to emphasize baptism as a, a way that we're actually saved. Because you, as you read on, the second half of that verse does not give baptism as the standard by which a person is condemned. What it's saying there is, is that baptism is a picture. It is a sign and a seal of God's salvation. That baptism shows us the work of Jesus Christ. And it is in baptism that we show our allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we recognize the rule of Christ as king, then we should submit to the decree of Christ in being baptized. 
That's what Jesus is getting at there. But the emphasis is clearly on faith because it is faith that saves and it's unfaith that condemns a person. So what is the criteria or the characteristics of that gospel message being proclaimed? The first thing is, is that it is going to entail the free offer of the gospel. It goes out to all people that it is offered to people that if you believe in Jesus, you will be saved. We don't have to twist ourselves up in knots trying to understand and to pull apart the decrees of God and understanding election and whether or not I'm elect. We're able to simply understand the offer is there. If you believe in Christ, you will be saved. That's a promise from God's word. That's a promise from the risen king. And that goes out to all sinners of all stripes, of all ways of life. If we respond to God's works in faith, we will be saved. But it also entails a solemn warning. In the second half of the verse, it says, whoever does not believe will be condemned. God has appointed a day in which he will judge all of creation. He has made that known. Uh, but it also teaches us that we will not be approved by God on the basis of our own good works. That's the, good, that's the, the instinctive reaction that people, the gut reaction that people appeal to. But I've been a good person. That person did many good things. God must be pleased with them because they were a decent, good neighbor, because they helped out their community. But that, under, that undermines the, the prevalence of their sin as well as the gravity of it. Our works cannot save us. But notice here, it's not only the fact that we stand condemned on the basis of our own guilt, which we can ignore or suppress, but it says here they will be condemned not only on the basis of their sin of rebellion against the authority of God, but on the basis of their unbelief, their despising of God's mercy. Do you see how there are two sides to the gospel message? There is a gracious offer of God that all who believe in the Lord Jesus as their king will find refuge in his kingdom. But all who resist that king will be judged on that account as well. This is not about trying to scare someone into the kingdom, but it is emphasizing the gravity of our response to Jesus, the importance of how we respond to God's works, that we don't become passive with these things and just carry on life as though it doesn't make any difference. We need both of these aspects so that we don't become passive on the one hand, but neither do we live with a despair on the other. We could hear the message that Christ died and was raised and carry on with our life thinking, what are the implications? And just ho-hum. But we could also hear the fact that God is going to judge this world and simply live in dread. But it is understanding that God's grace delivers us from a fear of the judgment to come, as well as understanding that Christ reigns now. That brings gravity to the way that we live. The gospel, in other words, has life and death consequences. 
It is communicating to us eternal matters that call forth a seriousness in our response. And so as we think about this message that is to go out into all the world, to the whole creation, it is about the risen king who has triumphed over death, who has conquered sin, who has conquered the devil. But all who believe in him are delivered from their sins and find peace in God's reign uh, and mercy. The good news then uh, is, is that Christ's kingdom has triumphed over the kingdom of darkness. But where are you then this morning? Are you in Christ's kingdom by faith? Or are you on the outside? Are you living unresponsive to what God has revealed? Living as though it were not. Not wanting to face the implications or the seriousness of Jesus' lordship. Or by the Spirit have you come to see that these things are true. Jesus truly did die on the cross. The tomb really was empty. Jesus physically appeared to the women, to the two, and to the eleven. That Christ has been raised from the dead. Are you living in response to God's works? And coming to delight that this is God's solution to our sin. There is a commission then that was given to the disciples. They were to go into all the world. They were to proclaim the message of the king's victory and triumph. There is the criteria or the characteristics of their message. They are to tell people not just uh, uh, what has happened. But they are to impress people that if they believe in these things they will be saved. But if they don't, they will be condemned. We need to be assured of both of these aspects. The gospel includes both warning as well as promise. It is both uh, comforting as well as convicting. But then there's also the confirmation of their uh, message that will accompany them as well. In verses 17 and 18, it says, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, uh, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. It mentions here various signs, uh, the casting out of demons, the speaking in new tongues, the picking up of serpents, the ability to drink what is deadly, and the laying the hands on the sick. Um, some of those signs are mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament. You think, for instance, of Peter on the day of Pentecost. It tells us that many people spoke in different languages, uh, that they were able to speak in different tongues. It was a confirmation of the work of God uh, and the glorification of Christ and the sending of the Spirit uh, that confirmed that what Peter was saying was true. You think, for instance, in the book of Acts as well, about how uh, demons were being cast out by Philip and by uh, Peter. You think about how the sick were being healed uh, by Peter uh, in Acts chapter 5. Many of these signs are mentioned elsewhere. But two of the signs that really stand out are the taking up of serpents and the drinking of that which is deadly. 
And as we think about those signs, uh, they can appear unusual or strange even to us. But it's helpful to think about those signs in light of the Old Covenant scriptures. We read there in Exodus chapter 4, and you remember that when Moses was being commissioned by the Lord to go to his people, to announce to them what? That the Lord has appeared to us. The Lord has appeared to me. He was to announce to them the good news that God was going to rescue them from slavery. But when Moses was being commissioned to tell people that God had appeared to him and that God has promised to bring salvation, Moses responded by saying, but they won't believe. What if they don't believe me? And so the Lord said, you will do these signs in response. And it may be that through these signs, they will believe. It tells us uh, that when Moses did that, uh, uh, one of the miracles that Moses did uh, was the taking up of uh, a serpent. Um, uh, one of the signs that was given to Moses was turning his staff into a snake, when he was commanded, uh, which he was then commanded to pick it up. And as one person has said, since Exodus 4 is the only other passage in Scripture which expressly speaks of picking up a snake, it is reasonable to suppose that the verse in Mark is alluding in this context, especially to the similar subject matter of appearances, commissioning, belief, and signs. In other words, this is an echo or an allusion to what was true in Moses' ministry. That when Moses was a servant of God, his message was accompanied by these signs or these miracles that confirmed him. But the other sign that is mentioned is that of drinking uh, deadly poison. Uh, this is not the usual word as mentioned before for poison. And it would be better uh, to read this as that which is deadly. But the sign comes across as less strange uh, when we think about it in terms, again, in light of the miracles of the Old Covenant. Sometimes we think of uh, miracles in the Bible and we think that the miracles were happening all the time. But in actual fact, most of the miracles can be concentrated into certain points in Israel's history. And two of those points would be the time of Moses with the Exodus and the time period of Elijah and Elisha, where again, miracles are abundant. And when we realize that, we see something of a, a significance to the miracle that is being mentioned here. Directly after Elijah left this world, his successor who carried on his work was Elisha. And the first miracle that Elisha did was the healing of the deadly water. We read about it in 2 Kings chapter 2. Uh, it says, uh, his men came uh, to him and said, Behold, the location of the city is good, as our Lord sees but the water is bad and the land is barren. He said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. And so they brought it to him and he went to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed these waters and there shall be no more death. That which is deadly is now something they can drink from. The first miracle of Elisha served as a confirmation of his ministry that the Lord's work was continuing through the successor of Elijah. It's interesting when you go back and you read Mark's gospel, how often Elijah and Moses come up in Mark's gospel. 
especially Elijah. Nine times Elijah is mentioned. Twice Jesus is thought to be Elijah. And here we're being highlighted that the people who follow in Jesus' ministry, his successors on earth, will carry on his works, doing works that confirm God's power is at work in their midst, confirming their message. When you see uh, uh, these themes, we can understand the importance of the signs that are being conveyed. There's nothing said about the duration of how these signs would function, uh, how long they would uh, last. But the function of these signs must then shape our expectations of them. Their function was to confirm the message of the apostles. The fact that the function of confirming the apostolic message has been achieved and that the fact that these signs have disappeared for the greater part of the life of the church should lead us to conclude that there is no abiding expectation of these signs today. As Benjamin Warfield, the Princeton theologian, says, these gifts were part of the credentials of the apostles. How does one know an apostle? They were doing works uh, of signs. And so Warfield says they were credentials of the apostles, and so they uh, were fulfilled with the apostolic age. Now we might be sitting here, you might be sitting here thinking to yourself, but I haven't seen any signs. How can I believe? People were recipients of the message of the disciples in the first century and they heard the message of Jesus' death and resurrection. But they also saw these signs. And we might be sitting here thinking that they had an advantage over us. We don't see the signs that they're talking about here. But how should we really think about uh, that objection? First, we should bear in mind that the signs themselves didn't save anyone. Even in Matthew's gospel, after Jesus appeared in his resurrection appearance, it still says, and some doubted, even after the resurrection. And even these signs didn't convince everyone. Because there's more to faith than simply witnessing impressive events. Saving faith is a work of God in the soul of an individual, where they are changed, where they're convicted about their sin, but also they come to trust that Jesus truly is risen as Lord. It's a work of God ultimately in the person's life, and not just of witnessing events around us. But these signs were to set the stage for the message of the apostles. Now that the apostles have communicated their message, we don't need signs. We have the scriptures. We know what the apostles' message is, and we can turn to the scriptures uh, to understand uh, uh, what is Christ's message to us today, what we are responsible for. But the truth is, is that we are guilty before God, and the scriptures point us not only to the problem of our sin, but also to God's works in Christ. And when you begin to look in the scriptures and you see how all of the scriptures point to Christ, that in and of itself is a sign. That is God's work in the inspiration of the scriptures, that they bear witness to the finger work of God. But we can go beyond that. Because as Mark ends his gospel, if you go down to verse 20, it says, And they went out and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them 
and confirm the message by accompanying signs. The disciples who were characterized by unbelief ultimately went out and did proclaim this message. They were a people that were transformed and they were a people who were transforming society. And if we are looking for a sign, we can see the sign of God's grace in the work of the Spirit in the redeemed community. When you can look at a person who at one time was living in sin and who has been changed by the Spirit of God, they're not perfect, but they're not what they once were. You're seeing the work of God is alive and active. And so we can look at the church as a reflection of God's work is ongoing. And we can give thanks for it. There are many things that would lead us to see that God's word is true. A transformed community by the work of the spirit. The unity of the scriptures that testify to the work of Christ. We can see how what God has done calls forth a response. And it is a knowledge that what happened in the past has implications for the present and for the future. These disciples went out and preached because Christ appeared to them. They came to believe in the resurrection and their ministry was blessed by the Spirit of God. Have you come to believe in this message yourself? Are you on the inside of the kingdom, trusting in Jesus as king? Or are you still living on the outside, unresponsive to the works of God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think over uh, the word of Christ, that we would see that it calls forth a response. And we pray, Lord, that as we uh, hear the words of Christ, that we would find comfort in the promise that all who believe will be saved, but to recognize that those who don't believe will be condemned. Lord, help us to be uh, convicted that there are only two postures or positions that we can be in. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us uh, to find our trust in Christ, that we would not be content to be indifferent to these matters, but that we would make our calling and election sure. So go before us in Jesus' name.